Hey, I am Burn C. Bell, and you're listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. All right, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. First of all, I hope you all had a happy Halloween out there. Now in this episode, I chat with musician and author Burton C. Bell about Ascension of the Watchers, The Twilight Zone, The Night Gallery, Writing Science Fiction, Fear Factory, Working with Geezer Butler, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper, here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Burton, uh, take us back in time. You're a youngster. Are you a book reader, fort builder, troublemaker, or all the above? I was a fort maker and a book reader, but I wasn't really much of a troublemaker. wasn't much of a troublemaker. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a uh, children's magazine called Highlights, and there was characters called Goofus and Gallant. <laughs> and uh, even though I was more attracted to Goofus, I was more of a Gallant. <laughs> So where about did you grow up? Texas. I have a twin brother, so it was more of like we were always choosing which one was up which one of us was goofus and gallant. Because we always thought gallant was pretty like insult anybody, but he seemed pretty nerdy. (laughs) I was like, no one wants to be that. (laughs) You're a book reader. Uh, what uh did you have a genre or maybe like a author that you leaned towards growing up? I leaned towards uh, horror and sci fi early on. Early on, I was I was always attracted to that. The first sci-fi book was by Robert Heinlein. Can't remember what the name of it was, but I remember reading it. I was like in fourth grade. I was reading that. I don't know in elementary school. You, used to, you get used to get these every every month. You could get these like order forms, and you could buy like books or magazines. So I'd always buy like horror books or like magazines about people like bursting into flames, <laughs> spontaneous combustion. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I read the Amityville Horror when I was in fifth grade. Scared the pants off of me. I was reading stuff like that. So you grew up in Texas. Not a big uh, Conan fan, Robert Howard fan. I, I was into comics, but I wasn't really into like Conan. So it didn't really appeal to me. Not until I was much older. But uh, I was into comics. I, I, I was reading like X Men and Alpha Flight and horror stuff like werewolf and love dare daredevil was one of my favorite ones when i was a kid so uh were either your parents were either of them musically inclined do you think that's maybe where some of it came from my mother is definitely music inclined she's classically trained as a pianist and a violin player and she's in the chorus as well Shit. She, always, she always has been so she was always put, not pushing us but like hey why don't you join the choir you know so i was in the school choir or the church choir and uh she was very uh proactive and getting me involved with school band and stuff like that my father lo- likes me is a fan of music of course he was like a, a radio dj for a long time and he was a uh, tv anchorman for a while 
So and then he was like, then he was like a radio talk guy. Like he did the news, but he was more into country and classical. My mother was into classical, some folk and some rock. And then I listened to the radio a lot, a lot of AM radio. (laughs) (laughs) Was it always the voice for you, Burton, or did you play an instrument at all? The first instrument I was playing, I was a percussionist in the school band. You know, playing snare drum or bass drum or kettle drums or the xylophone or the triangle (laughs) or cymbals. (laughs) Not a drummer, but just individual instruments. So I could read the I could read the music for drums and and percussion. Now, when you think back to formative films and TV shows that you grew up, what pops into your mind? The original Star Trek. I was really into Star Trek. I liked the first two Star Wars films. After that, it lost the plot for me. What ruined it was those damn Ewoks. <laughs> Star Wars is a great start. It was a great story. It was cool. Had a great hero kind of Joseph Campbell vibe going on about it. And then um, Empire Strikes Back was dark as hell. I like that. And then Return of the Jedi was just all family fun. I'm like, fuck that. By the time that came out, I was already in high school. And I wasn't into the fa- I did not want anything like goofy or you know family oriented or nice. I like the horror films. I always wanted to watch horror films. I remember one of the first horror films I watched was Salem's Lot that was on television. Oh, a good one. With David Soul. Yeah, that was a good one. That one scared the pants off of me. There was one scene, me and my brother and my cousins were watching it on the small tube television in the living room. I was laying on my stomach and I don't know, one of the vampires just popped up all of a sudden. I was on my stomach. I jumped up in the air with my stomach muscles like ah <laughs> yeah the scene with the kid in the window always got me with Salem's Lot yeah and uh, you know uh, sci-fi space films loved Alien you know Buckaroo Banzai stuff like that um, Blade Runner early on hands down mm. one of my favorite films of all time Halloween I liked Halloween I never got into Friday the 13th the first one and the first Halloween that was awesome too second one wasn't too bad the same character was in it. Uh, Donald Pleasance was yeah. in on both of them. And he always makes a great character. Right. Rest in peace. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I was always attracted to, you know, obviously play D&D when, I, when it first started. That was a question and I had for you. Yeah. <laughs> D&D. I was living in Lufkin, Texas when it came out. So I would say 79-80 when it first hit the scene. My best friend and I, at the time, Patrick, he he wanted to be a dungeon master. So I was like, go for it. And so he's like, we started coming up with all these things. We would play, not so seriously, but he really wanted, his main goal was to really build an actual, like, dungeon. So oh. we kind of we kind of lived near the woods. So he started creating this pathway of like, we're going to we're going to build a ditch here. It's going to be four feet deep. We're going to have stakes in it. So it's going to be covered up. So you have to crawl over that. <laughs> like <laughs> That sounds like a good uh, dungeon master to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my favorite character was the paladin. I wanted to ask you because I saw this in your bio, Burton. Uh, you skipped over the night gallery. And that's one of my uh, personal favorite TV shows. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Night Gallery. That's a that's a lost one too. Not not a lot of people remember that one. Right. And everyone remembers Twilight Zone, but people don't remember that he in the seventies it continued on and did Night Gallery. And actually, there's one one episode of from Night Gallery that has stayed with me forever, and it even inspired a dream. I think because there was this one scene where it was just sun was just blazing and it was like the end of the world and it looked so hot that scene just has stayed with me ever since 
Wow. I don't know if I'm familiar with that episode off the top of my head. I can't remember the actual concept or what the the story plot was, but just the visuals alone. The first horror story or film I watched on TV, Trilogy of Terror. Is that the one with the little doll? The little, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. What's his name? Karen Black is the star of that one. That one scared the shit out of me. God, well, I saw that on TV when I was like seven. Yeah, that little doll was the inspiration for Chucky, believe it or not. Oh, I believe it. There's nothing original right? in Hollywood. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so uh, just with the Night Gallery, I don't know if you remember this episode, but my personal favorite episode is called uh, The Waiting Room. And it's the one with uh, there's like a bunch of cowboys, like a bunch of outlaws in the saloon. And they don't know that they're all dead and they're playing a game of poker. And each time you lose a hand, they realize that they're hanged. Oh my god, that that one takes me back. I don't know if I have the vision of it or just you describing it, but because my dad would watch that all the time, that's why we watched that because he was a Twilight Zone fan. My I watched a lot of stuff with my dad. He was the one who got me into Star Trek. So, uh, at what age, when you're growing up, Burton, do you start to take music a bit more seriously and maybe start to want to join bands? Oh, not till I was eighteen. Uh, I wanted to be a writer first. That was my first thing. I wanted, always wanted to be a writer. I remember in fifth grade, I remember writing my first story in fifth grade, Mrs. Casper's class. And uh, it was kind of like a, it was a, a thriller horror because it kind of ended with me finding my grandmother stuffed in a trunk, stabbed, knifed, and forked to death. Mrs. <laughs> Casper's like, why would you write something like that? I'm like, thought it was cool. Because it, it sounded cool. <laughs> it was a shock factor. But uh, I was always into music. I was never in a band until I moved to California. So I lived in, I grew up in Texas and then my family moved to Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. That's where I finished high school. And after high school, I met up with some guys and a friend of mine was a guitar player. He was jamming with some guys and he's like, Hey, you know, sing for us. I'm like, okay. Did one jam with them. I was like, I remember doing class. Should I stay or should I go? I was like, yeah, it's okay. And at that point, I was still living. I was living in D.C. and they were still in Virginia, so I never made the trip back. But I was always into music. I was into music big time. I was working at a record store. I was going to concerts a lot, going out a lot. <laughs> it was my nightlife that ruined my college career. It happens. <laughs> oh, big time! It wasn't until I moved to California in 1989. I actually, you know, I had. Either two things to do. I was going to either be a writer or I was going to join a band. I think kind of both worked at the same time because I wanted to write. So writing lyrics, writing lyrics and words is writing. And applying it to composition of music, it just kind of worked out for me. And I never expected to be, I wanted to be a band, but never expected this to ever happen. It just kind of worked out. Let's stick on writing. I didn't know you were a writer. Uh, do you still write? Is fiction something you still pursue? Yeah, fiction, science fiction, horror. I've done, actually, Pantera is coming out with a graphic novel. The, for the 30th anniversary of Vulgar Display of Power, I was asked to write a story for one of the songs. So they got 10 writers and 10 artists to do a graphic novel. And so one writer and one artist would get a song. So I was given the song Walk. And uh, I wrote a story for Walk, came out killer. The artist was uh, John Pierce, John Pierce, and um, he did a great job. And of course, my story, I did some kind of like a Max Wachatansky android style kind of thing, walking through the desert of a post-apocalyptic dystopian time. So that's cool. That's through Z2 Publishing and Z2 actually to do another one, another story for uh, 
type of negative graphic novel for uh, the album Bloody Kisses. Wow. So what does your writing process look like? Are you a heavy outliner? Do you like to go with the flow? I will write down ideas. For instance, like getting a, a song like Walk, they didn't want any lyrics involved. I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I just really had to uh, sat down and just started thinking of something and it just I don't know how it came out. I just start writing down notes and then it's like notes I will write and ideas. One idea will I'll just start running with and it just, just goes and goes and goes. So it's just it's not really an outline to begin with the story. I just start it's a creative really just like a, a wellspring of creation creation going on. Just like it comes out of me. Now, for instance, I did a story for obsolete. I also did a story for the industrialist. And so I had all the lyrics ready. The lyrics themselves kind of tell a story. But for instance, like what I did for Obsolete, I didn't start writing a story until the uh, track listing was done. And I made the track listing my outline. And then I made everything, just threaded it together. I like that. And it worked out. And I did the same thing for The Industrialist. It worked out. So I like to ask people that write lyrics this. And to this point, no one has said yes. But have you ever... Have you ever written lyrics and then the music after comes after? Or is the music always first and then the lyrics? I have written lyrics first a, a few times. The first time, Piss Christ, I wrote the lyrics first. The music kind of, I had the lyrics ready and then Piss, the music for Piss Christ was written. I'm like, damn, these will work with this song and just oh, okay. work. But lyrics, uh, lyrics are always like, they come later. I write all the time. I write lyrics, I write down ideas, it just sometimes just all the lyrics don't work, mm -hmm. all the words don't, don't work, and so it's almost like putting a puzzle together sometimes. Do you remember your very first time on stage and did it go off without a hitch? Did your pants fall down or anything like that? The first time I was on stage with a band was a band called Hate Face. That was here in Los Angeles. First show we ever played was in Hollywood, and uh, we were opening up for a band called LAPD, which later became Corn. Fieldy was in LAPD, and then he created Corn. But we played at this place in Hollywood, which is now where they filmed the uh, Jimmy Kimmel show. And uh, I went on stage, and I was just it's more about I was more about style than substance, and my style pretty much sucked already. <laughs> I went on stage with like these crazy his welder goggles on, and I was wearing shorts. It was really sad. <laughs> First time I remember playing live with fear factory we played a backyard gig in an elysian park it was someone's driveway in front of their garage there was like 20 people there standing about 50 feet away i basically pretty much crouched down and faced the band the entire time <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect segue into my next question which is uh i speak with a lot of actors speak with a lot of musicians both professions that sort of deal with stage fright so how did you overcome it if you ever had to deal with it i don't think i've ever overcome it mm. it's uh i i still get the butterflies before i go on stage and it doesn't matter what it's for it could be for you know a song or guesting or something my or my show i still get nervous for me i don't think i'll ever get over that feeling and to me, uh, I've, it's been said that that is a good sign that you're still like your soul's still into it. You haven't been jaded. If you get the butterflies, that's a that's a good sign that you're still into it. Now, nerves are a good thing. I say that all the time. You know, if you're not nervous, you probably don't care. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the sentiment I've heard 
some other people as well who's been in the, who have been in the industry longer than I have. And Alberta, your bio says on your website that your first passion was actually photography. Is that uh, something you still do? Absolutely. Uh, I just earlier this year I had a show at the Vincent Castiglia Gallery in Florida, and it was a series I did of a town, the town I lived in in Milton, Pennsylvania. I did a series of night shots. So I have a Canon A1 from 1982. I did a lot of like experimentation, but there was this one night where everything just worked out. I was taking photographs at night with extended exposure in the fog and it was full color and the way the just the fog just crystallized the light around it. It made this entire light, everything was glowing wherever there was light and I was using like trees or houses as sil to silhouette lights. So it gave it this really dark, eerie experience. And I had my own show. So I that was one series I did. I did another series before that where I took a trip from Los Angeles. I drove from Los Angeles to Santa Fe, stopping at every, I pretty much, I was driving Route 66. I stopped at every roadside cross. You know, you drive through this, driving down the road you see a cross on the side of the road those are called descansos and this is basically it's a rest area for the soul i stopped at every one of them that i could see and took pictures of every one of them from la to santa fe and back how many and was it's it all, it's over 200 it's all black and white so i had my canon a1 which i was using black and white film for and then i had a kodak instant camera which is color so i was doing those as well and i was uh, marking each one making notes and so that's my next series i want to put out what do you think the genesis of that uh interest or passion is i've just always enjoyed photography uh i remember living in austin texas as a kid i was in third and fourth grade there and in fourth grade i was in the first gifted and talented program and it was an after school thing so what they did was they took a handful of students all like fourth graders from four different classes and they put us together and like two or three times a week after school we'd learn like photography and they'd give us like you know it was like a cheap 35 millimeter camera all it was was like a plastic case it's like a 35 millimeter version of a pinhole camera but i was able to take photographs and we were taught how to develop them so mixing the, the chemicals using the uh photo developer and the framing it and just toss everything in fourth grade that was that's where i learned it they taught us painting too and acting wasn't into acting definitely was not into dancing <laughs> <laughs> stuck with me so i stayed with that and uh i've always had an eye for it i've always had my love for films generated my love for photography so burton for people that may have been living under a rock people listening out there can you just take us through how you and dino meet and if your factory comes to be so i was in a band called hate face in hollywood that was early 90s and Hate Face was a great band. I loved it. We, it was only together for like eight months, but we had such a good time. And we were mostly about Naked Lunch, so William S. Burroughs. We wanted to be on that label Amphetamine Reptile because we loved early White Zombie and we liked Helmet, we liked Big Black and stuff like that. So we were like this New York noise band living in LA. We were about Jim Beam and Crystal Beth. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't last very long. What a combo great combo back then the band my guitar player and my drummer lived in this house uh, it was like this big house in hollywood and i was looking for a new place to live so this room 
room opened up in this big house <laughs> where there was like 11 people living in nine rooms. There was two bathrooms. There was a big kitchen. There was a there was a big like common room, which is a living room. There was other another room in the back, which is like for uh, it was a piano room, or whatever. There was a piano in it, which was really weird. So I moved into this room with Dave and Alex. I had my own room, but they also lived in there. Actually, Alex moved out. That's why I moved in. So my friend, my guitar player Dave, still lived there. I was there, I had a day off. I was at that time. I was working at Tower Video on Sunset. I had a day off, and on my day off, I'm like just trying to relax, and all of a sudden I hear this fucking loud guitar playing coming from upstairs. I never went upstairs. I was like, I knew there was an upstairs, but I, I didn't know people lived up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I hear this fucking loud guitar playing going on. And I was like, I was going to like go up there and tell them to be quiet. <laughs> and I go up there and it's Dino on his fucking guitar playing uh, through a Marshall cab in his JCM 800. And I was like, oh. And I was, so we just started talking and we had started talking. We had same interests. I got him into Godflesh and he got me into like Napalm Death. And uh, so I was like the guy the goth industrial guy and he was the total metal guy hate face was still around so he, he came to a couple shows he liked the way i expressed myself i'm a vocalist i'm not a i'm not really a, i don't say a singer i'm over a vocalist he liked the way i did it and so when hate face disbanded because the uh, bass player picked up and moved to israel for six months scott scott moved to israel for six months like right when we had a gig at uh, Raji's, we're like, okay, we didn't want to cancel the gig. So Tino came in and like, okay, he'll play guitar. Dave will play bass. I'll play a couple of Hate Face songs. And we wrote a new song for the show. We were called, what were we called for that show? Oh my God, it's on the tip of my tongue. Something terrible. <laughs> Ulceration or something like that. We were called Ulceration. We wrote a song called Big God. It became a fear, one of the first Fear Factory songs. That's where it all started. And like you said, uh, when we were speaking just earlier that, you know, you didn't get into music to take it seriously to your 18 or so. So you get into Fear Factory. When you guys start making it, is it what's going on inside you internally? Are you just like, what the fuck is going on? No, I was just rolling with it. <laughs> so when Fear Factory started, I was 21. So I really I was you know working retail, didn't care. So I was just rolling with it. Enjoyed the camaraderie of rehearsals. I enjoyed writing music with uh, Raymond and Dino. I enjoyed playing shows. I still do. So it's uh, it just we're just like, yeah, we got a show. Let's do it. I was all game. I was ready to go because I saw a future being, I always wanted to be an artist regardless, photography, writing, or you know, music. I always wanted to be an artist. So being a musician seemed to really be moving forward. So I was like, let's do it. When you get to that first Fear Factory hiatus, I think in 2002, you formed Ascension of the Watchers. So what was the inspiration there? I wanted to explore uh, music that I, I'm, I was also into as well, because like I said, I was in, like the industrial goth guy. Uh, so I, I really liked Mission UK and Sisters of Mercy and New Model Army and you know, things like, bands like that. I want Cocteau Twins, that vibe. So I, I want to explore my, the music that I really never had a chance to write. So the Ascension of the Watchers is really a learning experience of me writing music myself and exploring what I was capable of doing. Texture, melody, groovy beats, 
because that's where I always liked. Mm. So it was more of a growing experience for me. You know, Essential Watchers still doing it. I'll still play all that music, but I'm moving forward as well at the same time. I'm not working on like solo stuff, but I'll still play Watchers songs, Fear Factory songs, GZR songs, City of Fire songs. I'll do a Hate Face song, but Hate Face song was a cover anyway. <laughs> Helter Skelter. Essential Watchers was a growing, a very much of a growing experience. And you know, Burton, I'm, I'm not here to dig or look for any headlines or anything like that. So, just is it safe to say that that first 2002 split was a creative split, and you just wanted to do your own thing? That's part of it, yeah. Okay, that is that's definitely part of it. So, uh, I wanted to ask you about working with Geezer Butler, Plastic Planet. What what was that like? First of all, it's mind blowing. It was uh, an ex- an experience I'll cherish forever. Just came out of the blue, really. It came around after we had just finished recording Demanufacture, just finished recording it, and actually just finished mixing it. And we were, Dino and I were in the UK on a press tour because that's what labels used to do for bands fly you on, put you on a press tour. And uh, I was in London, backtrack, before the press tour that was going to be in the UK. My management at the time said, Hey, I have an opportunity for you to audition for Keezer Butler's new record. I'm like, Keezer Butler? <laughs> of course, I was like a Sabbath fan already. I was like, sure. So he, I got sent a cassette tape, three songs to listen to. And that happened like two weeks before I was going out to the UK. When I get to the UK, I have a day off in London. So Geezer and Gloria his manager wife put me on a train from london to birmingham picked me up and i was listening to the music on my walkman the entire time just you know having ideas i didn't know had some lyrics but it's mostly ideas i had and i get picked up at the train station go to their house you know very understated but stately still castle in the middle of birmingham (laughs) outside of birmingham He answers the door with his with his big dog with his big dog. I think it was a mastiff named Baldrick. <laughs> of course, Baldrick. And we sat for on the couch and we just talked for I don't know seemed a while. And he goes, "Okay, are you ready? Come see the studio." I'm like, "Okay." So we went up to his attic, which is a studio, and it was uh, it was a it wasn't a big room. It was probably you know fifteen by twenty. But it was covered like you know gold platinum records sabbath saw his like his first bass he's ever played and basses everywhere and he had like this six track uh mixing board or whatever i was walking around and i saw the sabbath the uh i saw the gold it was a platinum record for sabotage i was like i love this record this is the record that got me into he looked at me like i had two heads he's like really that one <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, that's a great record. <laughs> so he showed me how to use the machine, and uh, he left me by myself for like an hour. So I just singing into it, putting different vocal ideas on different tracks. And the one track that was really more cohesive and finalized than any other one was a song that ended up becoming Giving Up the Ghost, because I had a great idea for that. I had my own vocal idea, but I had my own lyrics, but... The vocal idea was what he really wanted to hear. So after an hour, he's like, "Came, he's like, okay, you done?" I'm like, "I guess." 
offered me a beer and then uh, we went to go eat Indian food and put me on a train back to London. And when I got back to London, got a phone call in my hotel room. I'm like, hey, he's like, you got it. Like, so after that, back to the States and then like a month later, they flew me to Massachusetts to record the album. Have you had much interaction with them since? Uh, no, not since uh, we toured with Ozzy, Sabbath. I think the last interaction I had was like 2000. They got a new singer and because uh, I didn't want to leave Fear Factory. No hard feelings. I mean, hey, you got to work with Geezer. Not many people can say that. I, not only got I got to work with Geezer, I got to work with Dean Castronovo. I got to work with Paul Northfield. I got to work with Pedro House. I got to tour with Ozzy. I got to tour with Sabbath. Dude, that in itself. While we're on that subject, do you have any uh, Ozzy tour stories? Any crazy nights or anything? They all come, I get a lot of memories just like coming in, touring with Ozzy. Opening up for Ozzy in Europe was hard because it was his Retirement Sucks tour. And the hardcore Sabbath Ozzy fans in Europe hated us. <laughs> no. I mean, we had like a small group of fans up front surrounded by like a sea of sabbath aussie fans who hated us <laughs> they would either spit on us or throw like called it uh we called it a uh, shrapnel but it was like they'd just throw their coins at us no from whatever country we're in so after every show i'd like look on the stage and like pick up money <laughs> and, and a lot of the times i was standing there like this singing like this doing this <laughs> That's hilarious. That's one. We were at his 50th birthday party in a, somewhere in Norway. Henry Rollins was there. I met Brian May at, in 98 at the Sabbath, the first Sabbath reunion at the NEC. And I'm like standing standing next to Brian May. And he's fucking tall. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. it's mostly hair, I think. <laughs> I got a lot of other stories, but. I don't know if I could tell them. <laughs> Understood. Burton, what's the best advice you've received in your musical career and who gave it to you? First advice that comes to mind came early on, like our first demo. We recorded our first demo in 1991 and it was recorded by Billy Gould of Faith No More. Great guy, totally down to earth, spirit, just an awesome human being. Obviously a great bass player too, but I was already, you know, loved Faith No More. But the one thing he said to me, and I held, I still follow it. Never read your own press, bad or good. Never read it because you'll start believing it. You'll fall into the negativity or you'll fall into having just a big head, ego. Yeah. And I followed that, you know, once, you know, once in a while I'll read something. But I never read interviews I do. I never read, I never watch podcasts or videos or anything. Once I do it, I'm done because I say what I say and I'm, I say what I mean. I mean what I say. So I don't need to go back. So I just don't, I never read my own press and it's helped me. It's helped me a lot. <laughs> Good advice. So this is something I like to ask everyone just because you never know. Sometimes I get a 30 minute answer to this question, sometimes 10 seconds. So have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal? Fuck yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like I'm in tune to that already. The first one I remember wasn't until I was living in L.A. And I was working at this movie theater in Santa Monica called the New Wilshire Theater. And it was built as a vaudeville type of theater a long time ago. So it was like an art house. 
over time they turned into a movie theater they split it in half to make it two theaters so it was it was built in the early 1900s and i don't spook easily yeah i i feel like i'm I wouldn't say i'm brave but i'm just i don't spook easily and so i was working in this movie theater you know shucking popcorn working the uh, can- candy booth all that you know the concession stand i was working and i had to stay because my ride was the manager so i was waiting for her to be done in the office so i went into one of the theaters dark and sat in the middle of the theater the door was open so some light was filtering in but it was mostly dark i was just relaxing decompressing from the day looking forward my eyes open just looking in the dark dude like all of a sudden it got cold on the back of my neck and i see this like this bluish hand come across my face like this saw it clear as day i was like i literally like what the i jumped up and hauled ass to the upstairs banging on the door let me in, let me in. <laughs> and my uh, my friend let me in i was like is this fucking place haunted and that's when she started telling me stories of like yeah there's that like i oh yeah i believe it because in the the real room where they show the films the, the camera room that place was haunted too someone would always knock on the door close the door and there's nobody there that was the first time that happened wow uh do you consider yourself spiritual or religious at all i am not religious i don't believe in organized religion i have my own spiritual beliefs uh, I, you know, obviously following a moral, a basic human moral code is what everyone should do. But I, I feel like I'm you know, spiritual in my own way. I also believe in science, and I believe that energy is a constant. So whatever, I don't understand it, but whatever energy runs this body, when it can no longer function in this vessel, that energy is released somewhere. And I believe in residual presence. A residue of some sort of energy it's all there so uh out of all the projects you've worked on over the years you know be it a single song or a whole album uh, what would you consider the most challenging is the one that you lost sleep over songs or records Uh, records records works too it doesn't even have to be music if you want to take it there it's the most challenging project you've worked on creatively that's a good question never really thought about that they all present different challenges and the most challenging thing the most challenging i don't know raising three kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably that's probably the most challenging i'll say (laughs) i have three teenagers in high school oh oh yeah they're all at that perfect age yeah they they want nothing to do with me (laughs) it's like even if your dad is the vocalist former vocalist for fear factory and has done all this cool stuff you're still not even cool Not cool enough. So, do, do I know Kanye West? No, then fuck off. <laughs> well, Burton, uh, I guess just to put a bow on everything here, uh, what's on the horizon for you? What can people expect coming through the pipeline? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, tomorrow night, this might be shown too late, but tomorrow night I'm doing my first spoken word. Uh, I got invited to do the spoken word with a group of other authors. Tomorrow night I'm going to be reading. I found a found my original uh, i'll be reading original writings that i found for the obsolete story uh, i found the actual synopsis i did for each song which was never released so i think i'm gonna be reading that and the first part of conception five so i only have like 15 minutes so 
I don't want to read too fast, but <laughs> we'll see. I just recorded two new songs over the weekend for the future, uh, my next, my solo endeavors. One song I wrote and the other song was written for me. I like, it's got a great theme going on. One song is called Anti-Droid and the other song is called Technical Exorcism. Oh, I like that. That's the Technical Exorcism is the one I wrote. But for me, be back on the road, uh, releasing new songs and being back on the road, performing live, you know, playing songs for my entire catalog from you know, Fear Factory, Essential Watchers, City of Fire, GZR, Ministry, maybe some other songs I've been a part of over the years. There's a lot of them. Just getting back on the road, performing live. God, I miss it so much. You know, when you've done it for, you're doing something for so long and just enjoying being on stage and interacting with the audience, I miss it. And I can't wait to get back to it. My mantra for everything I'm doing from now on is, is heavy, groovy, dark, and moody. Put that on my tombstone. <laughs> it's going to be on the back of my shirt. <laughs> well, Burton, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, man. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate your time, and thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. You have a great rest of your day. You too, brother. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Burton. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. (laughs) Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net or wherever you listen to podcasts.